Our scripture reading comes from Luke 2, 22 to 35. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, our prayer is that Pastor Andrew's words would be used by the Holy Spirit to change us for the better. And if we do not know you yet, that those words will be used to call us to salvation. And if we do know you, that we will be called into a closer walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. came across uh, the testimony of a woman named Vanitha, Vanitha Reisner this week. Um, she says, I, I wouldn't trade any of the difficulties of my life for the way that I know Jesus now. I'm so grateful for that. She had a lot of difficulties. She was born in India. Uh, when she was three months old, she contracted polio. Uh, the doctors didn't recognize it, didn't know how to treat it. They gave her the wrong medicine within a couple of days of that. She was a quadriplegic. Took her about seven years to work out of that. She did learn how to walk. Uh, by the time she was 13, she had had 21, uh, uh, 21 operations. Uh, she, she did move forward in life, went to school. Uh, she got married to a guy that she met in grad school. She endured several miscarriages, or they did as a couple, and then they had a son who was born with a hypoplastic left heart. Uh, he was treated, uh, but then he was mistreated by a doctor who thought he was doing a little bit better than he was, and their son died. This was a very difficult time for Vanitha. Uh, she thought that she was through with suffering, and here was suffering 
in a whole different way. Um, after this experience, she contracted what is called post-polio syndrome, where basically her body started going backwards, uh, her muscles started failing, and she was moving back into uh, this state of polio. It was during this time that her husband decided to leave her uh, with her two teenage daughters who were very confused and lonely and angry, and so here she was uh, in her current situation, raising these girls alone. And yet, she says, God was faithful to me. This last wound was the, the deepest of all because, you know, all of those other things had happened sort of to her, but this one just felt so personal. Uh, her husband leaving her, the rejection all that it was caused. And it's at this point that she says, I wouldn't trade any of those things for the way that I know Jesus now. One of the things that we have to reckon with in this world, and we certainly see it when we come to Christmas, when we come to Advent, is the brokenness of the world. Our, our hymns pick this up, you know, a weary world rejoices, uh, the angels uh, bending to speak to those who are crushed beneath life's load, uh, we recognize that there is so much brokenness in our world and so much woundedness. I'm sure that many of you here are going to your own woundedness. You're thinking of the difficulties, the weariness of raising children with special needs, raising children without a spouse, the difficulties of staying in a, a hard marriage, uh, facing a season or years of infertility or unwanted singleness or any of these types of things, just the daily struggles uh, with our health, uh, with uh, mental health, depression, anxiety, uh, weary of COVID, weary of fighting between brothers and sisters, uh, feeling the tension that comes with the holidays and, and knowing that you're going to be in a room and, and it's going to be difficult. We, we get the weariness. The good news, though, for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, is that Jesus knows and that God's plan incorporates the weariness in a way that doesn't just uh, enable us to tolerate it or to endure it, but actually incorporates it in a way that brings us hope. We're journeying with Mary, Mary this thinker, the deologizomai, you know, the thinking furiously, pondering through her life of discipleship. You remember Mary back in Luke 1 says uh, to the angel, she says, behold, I am your servant. Let it be to me according to your word. Here she meets another servant. 
Simeon uh, says, now let your servant depart in peace. One of these servants is on the sort of the beginning of her journey of discipleship, making sense of all that has come. The other servant is at the end. He is old, and he says, behold, now let your servant depart in peace, that famous uh, peace that we know as the nunc dimittis, let your servant pardon, depart in peace. And so here they are, and they share a reflection about Jesus. It, it, it's an amazing scene. You know, it's about 40 days after Jesus is born. Uh, Mary and Joseph have to go into Jerusalem for the rites of purification according to their law. I'm sure it was a hustle, a bustle. Uh, they get, the, uh, they get the, the sacrifices, the turtle dove get ready to take them, and along the way, they're accosted by this old man. But Mary knows that he knows, and as he, he takes this child, he, he blesses the child, and he says, my eyes have seen the Savior, a light for the Gentiles, salvation for Israel, the one for whom my heart has been longing. Now let your servant depart in peace. What a moment that must have been for Mary because she's hearing from the angel that she is going to bear this one. And now Elizabeth has confirmed that. Her child jumps in the womb here. Uh, Simeon confirms this. But it's in this context that Simeon says something to her that surely must have thrown her for a loop or at least caused her to pause just a little. He says in verse 34, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. Now, that's not a good sign. The fall of many in Israel, that's not what I was hoping for. That's not what the promise was. For a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts would be revealed. He, here is a truth that we need to understand. Uh, here is a truth that is on offer to us that I think helps us make sense of the weary world helps us make sense of a world that is broken, helps us to see uh, the beauty in the midst of the brokenness. And it has everything to do with this idea of piercing. A sword will pierce through your own soul also. What does this mean? How does Mary think about it? How does she experience it as she goes through her life? Because surely she thought about these words often as she navigated over the course of her life. A sword will pierce through your own soul. Well, on the one hand, I mean, obviously we have the pierce of grief. Um, think about her life as she goes from this place. Within a couple of years, she will be fleeing to Egypt uh, because Herod is going to be set on killing all of the infant boys under a couple of years old. As she sits in Egypt and she hears about those who have lost their lives, surely there was the grief that was there. 
over the, the intervening years, especially when Jesus comes into his adult age, she's going to have to grieve a relationship that is changing. You know, she was concerned about her son. We saw that last week. Addison brought us to Mark chapter 3. She, along with Jesus' brothers, thought that he was going insane. They went to intervene, and, and he corrects their relationship, and he says, listen, uh, my mother and my brothers, they are those who do the will of God, and there is a change in their relationship, but nothing really would demonstrate that grief, like the grief of seeing the tumult over her son, seeing him taken captive, seeing him being on trial, seeing him going to a cross, being there. As a parent, a mother, a father, we have some sense of the sword that pierced through Mary's soul as she watched the nails being driven into the arms of her son, as she watched him bleeding out, as she watched him struggling for breath, just the pure physicality of this one who you had nursed, this one who you had fixed his knees and his arms when he scraped them, to see that, surely a sword will pierce through your own soul as well. One writer puts it this way, he said, this sword piercing Mary's soul uh, demonstrates that she will feel a mother's pain as she watches her son go his own way, suffer rejection. But the sword also reflects the pain of anyone who identifies with Jesus uh, and with Jesus and the sword reflects the pain that anyone who identifies with Jesus feels as the world rejects what Jesus has to offer. We're not, we're not distant from the pain. It's not Mary's alone. We feel it in the brokenness of the world. We, we feel it uh, along the way of discipleship. I think that's one of the things that we learn uh, watching and tracking Mary's life is that discipleship is not a pain-free endeavor. When we decide to follow Jesus, as uh, our author said, we will feel the rejection of the world. Ideologically, Christians are in a very different place. Uh, we're in a very different place than our world. We're in a very different place than those who are outside of Christ, and, and we feel that rejection. We feel the pain just of living in a broken world. We've talked about the many different examples of that and how we feel it. I know many of you are experiencing those wounds even today. The second thing that I think that we note from this, not only is discipleship not pain-free, but that our expectations need to adjust. You know, for Mary and for, uh, for Simeon, perhaps, for, for all of the disciples, they, they had a certain set of expectations about what following Jesus would mean. Uh, they were thinking uh, things like, 
the Romans would be overthrown, that Israel would once again become a a world power like it was in the days of David, that there would uh, be the wine and gold and all of the different things that speak to prosperity. But that wasn't exactly the way that Jesus came. And, And part of what Simeon is saying is that your expectations need to change. There is going to be the rising of many in Israel, but maybe not exactly in the way that you think. There is also going to be the falling of many in Israel because the stone that is the cornerstone is also the stone of stumbling. Isaiah has said it. Uh, Paul picks it up. We realize that our expectations of what the Savior began what the Savior came to do, begin to change. One writer puts it this way, what Simeon said uh, begins the slow, methodical process of subtracting elements of Mary's vision of the Messianic kingdom. The Davidic dynasty would be less than and different from what she expected. So what does that mean for us? How do we begin to move forward? We recognize that there is this piercing of grief, that it's part of our life, but how does it operate? Because again, part of my thought with this, and I think what the Lord's been working in me, it's not just that we endure uh, the difficult things in life, but the beauty of the gospel is that it incorporates it in a way that no other ideology, no other uh, philosophy can really lead us into. What do I mean by that? We have the piercings of grief, but then secondly, we have the piercings of grace. What we need to understand is that while this is true, a sword pierces Mary's heart, Mary is seated firmly with the disciples at the end of the story. When we get to Acts, and we're going to be there next Sunday, we see Mary along with all of the rest of the disciples praying in the room. She is focused on the mission of Jesus. So the sword pierce, though it did pierce her soul, was not fatal to her discipleship. It, it formed or, or it, it, it provided a different purpose And I think part of this is what we have recognized in the past, that there are cuts that kill, but they are also cuts that heal. And some of the grief that we experience in our life, uh, some of the grief, much of the grief is there that if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, is there for our growth. As we think about this, um, there are, are, are so many ways that this truth is captured. One writer captures it this way, Simeon has a painful message for Mary, but she discovered that for those who trust God, he uses soul-piercing events to unleash more grace, more salvation, more joy into the world than we ever could have imagined. When the sword pierces, it feels like terrible pain, but later we discover that our deepest wounding often becomes the channel through which the most profound grace, uh, the most profound grace 
flows. I think we experience this in a couple of ways. You know, one is we experience it for ourselves. When we are wounded, when our souls are pierced, we find ourselves more vulnerable, more open. You know, again, I, I, I like how that Vanitha Reisner puts it. I wouldn't trade any of those things for the way that I know Jesus now. How many of you can attest to that? You know, when you've been through the crucible, when you have been through the soul-crushing piercings and weariness that you thought you never could endure, the way that you know Jesus in those moments is so much richer, so much deeper, uh, so much more nuanced, so much fuller than ever you could have imagined it. And so while those things are certainly difficult and they are, are products of the fall, they change us in such a way that the piercing works for our good and for our glory. I think there is another way in which these piercings are the piercings of grace they allow us to minister in the lives of those in ways that we never could have ministered before. Thornton Wilder, American uh, author, playwright, he's got these little three-minute plays with uh, three people. Maybe some of you have seen these three characters in them. One of them is called When the Angel Troubles the Waters. And uh, it is picturing the scene by the Pool of Siloam where uh, in the Gospels we see that people would wait for the angel to trouble the waters and then the first one into the pool uh, would be healed. So in this play, there is one man who has been there a long time. He is an invalid. He often thinks the angel comes and jumps in. It's a false alarm. Uh, then there's the angel, and then there is a newcomer to the pool. Uh, the newcomer is a physician in town. He's had uh, much success with the people of the town, but he has a wound. It's not completely clear from the play what it is, whether it is a besetting sin. Uh, I think it's more something along the lines of depression. And so he comes to the pool, and he is looking for the healing, and he is given the sight to, to actually see the imagined angel, to see the angel that is there who is getting ready to trouble the waters. And, and they have this conversation, and, and the angel is saying he must get on and he must do his work, but he says the work is not for the physician. He says, it's not for you, it's for another. And the physician says, must I drag my shame all my days more bowed down than, than, than my neighbor? And here the angel stands silent for a moment, gazes upon this physician who is much loved in the town, and he says this, without your wound, where would your power be? It's your very remorse that makes your low voice tremble into the hearts of men. 
The very angels themselves cannot persuade the wretched and blundering children on earth as can one human being broken on the wheels of living. In love's service, only the wounded soldiers can serve. Draw back. Part of the grace of the wounding is that we can really draw close to one another. When we don't allow our wounds to show, it's really difficult to be close. It's really difficult to find that intimacy that we were created for, that we long for. But when we live out of our woundedness, out of the piercings that Simeon talks to, it, it opens up new possibilities for us. Again, the world doesn't understand this. You know, there, there is a sense in which only the strong survive. You know, strength over weakness, you know, power. If we can only get the power It's so interesting how so many of our strivings are in that direction. But in love service, only the wounded soldiers move forward. Only they can gain the victory. Part of the piercing that that Simeon talks about with Mary is the piercing of grace. And I just remind you, too, that the Lord continues to do this work. It's interesting. Do a word study on piercing sometimes. It shows up more than you think it does. One of those is in uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall Uh, by the same sort of disobedience as the Israelites had in the wilderness. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. God's desire, the Spirit's ongoing work, is to pierce us with His word so that we can be open to receiving the grace that God has given us, the cut that heals, undergoing uh, the gentle hand of the surgeon who is getting rid of all of the poison in our body, who is opening us up to enter into the life of others, to join with them in an intimacy Uh, by which we together can look to the Savior, the Word of God, piercing, opening us in such a way. The last observation for you this morning, thinking about this, of course, has to center on Jesus. That's what Simeon was looking for, and as he takes this baby into his arms, you can just imagine the scene, the hubbub all around this old man, maybe seen as crazy by those who frequent the temple because he's always there. He's always talking about uh, the coming Savior, uh, this one who would bring light to the Gentiles uh, and salvation for Israel as he takes the baby in his arms, he says, 
this is the Savior. This is the one. And the way that that life turns out, again, is so different than our expectations. Jesus doesn't throw over the Romans. In fact, He is overthrown by the Romans, seemingly dying on an instrument of Roman execution. It is there that He is pierced, quite literally, as we look at John chapter 19. Since it was the day of preparation, the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken. Soldiers came. They broke the legs of one thief and then the other. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already died, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. And at once there came this flow of blood and water What does the prophet say? He was despised, rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. We've esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his stripes we are healed. Why did Jesus come into this world? Why was he incarnated? What is it that we celebrate this Christmas when we see the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger? He came to be pierced. He came so that all of his life fluids could flow out in order that we might be redeemed. This is the way of the gospel. It's not the way of the strong and the mighty, or at least strength is given a different cloak, because it is the way of God himself humbling himself to take on human flesh in order that he might go to the cross. This is what I mean by a hope that doesn't just simply endure, but a deep-seated belief that God's ways are not our ways. And that junk that you are walking through right now, that garbage that we all feel, these wounds that are oh so real. And we are not diminishing any of that. In fact, I think only the gospel allows us to say just how bad the bad is. But we believe that there is something deeper at work. There is a deeper law. There is a deeper way. And it's the way of Jesus, whose side was pierced in order that we might be made whole. Do you believe that? Because that really is the question. You know, Simeon says it this way. He says, he will be for the falling of many and the rising of many. He is the cornerstone that is rejected, but he is now the cornerstone which people will either stumble over or 
and the words of the gospel. They will have eyes to see and ears to hear. Do you have eyes to see this morning? It's a beautiful story that invites us in, not in our strength, but in our weakness. Like Mary, behold, I am your servant. Let it be to me according to your word. Do you believe that? Have you staked your life on that? Are are you working out your discipleship with that sort of belief? Or does it seem too fanciful? Like, that that can't really be true. I mean, after all, I, I need to prove my own worth. I need to prove my own righteousness if you want to do it in a moral sort of way. I need to prove that I am worthy of the acceptance of Christ, that I am worthy of the kingdom. That's not the way of the gospel. The gospel says, come you brokenhearted, come you despised, you rejected, come you wounded, come with empty hands. Nothing in my hands I bring, but simply to your cross I cling. But if it's not the rising, it it will be the falling. And this is the other thing about Christmas. You know, Christmas is a very sentimental time for the world. But when Jesus came, he ensured that this world is moving to its conclusion. As we celebrate this first advent, we can be sure that the second advent is coming. Praise be to Him for all who are looking for it, but, but, beware. Those of you who are not looking for that second advent, He will come. And if you haven't found yourself, you know, like Mary, His servant, like Simeon, His servant, it will be a time of weeping and gnashing of teeth, wailing, calling for the mountains to cover us. Jesus will come again, rising and falling. Where do we find ourselves? Brothers and sisters, we know Christ. Know Him as the one who is pierced. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You for the message that You have laid out for us. Lord, we're so grateful for this word and and just the opportunity to to journey with Mary a little bit. It took her some time to realize this, I'm sure. took her some time to process what this all meant. Lord, deal gently with us. Give us the time. Give us the, uh, the eyes to see, the ears to understand. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.